Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. You have your Bible. Please open it with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As has been our habit around here, what we're going to do is I'm going to read this passage. Then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll respond, thanks be to God. And then we're going to ask him for his help. And we'll jump in. We are going to be in Matthew 5, starting in verses 21, though. Matthew 5, 21. Here we go. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come, offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. You're going to be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Father, Thank you for the truth that we just sang, that one day the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, and you're coming back for us. Father, there's a lot of life, though, potentially between that moment and now. So, Father, I pray that I wouldn't waste anyone's time this morning, but we would look to your word to see how you are with us in that in-between time, how you are walking with us, guiding us. You've not abandoned us. So, Father, I pray that this would be a faith-building exercise. I pray this morning, as we think about anger, that this would be an invitation for us to abide with your Son and that our worship would be redirected. Father, I pray that you would do all these things through the power of your Word, through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you deal with your anger management issues? How do you deal with your anger management issues? That was a question that an elementary schoolgirl asked to one of the most iconic rock and roll legends of all time. Liam Gallagher was recently being interviewed by school children, and one of them posed that question. That's a very controversial question, because if somebody knows a thing about anger, it's Liam Gallagher. Uh, Many of you may not know who Liam Gallagher is or why he's famous, but he is one of the biggest rock stars of the late 20th century. And we are going to be continued to be guided through the Sermon on the Mount by rock and rollers. A a few weeks ago, Leonard Skinner helped us see how the Sermon on the Mount is not about behavior modification. That following Jesus doesn't just mean, hey, I used to swear and smoke and go out and party, and now I go to church and help out at Awana. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Not just stop that, start this. Jesus is saying there are heart motivations that drive our behaviors. 
And so growth as a Christian means dealing with our hearts, our fears, our wants, our desires that drive our behaviors. So Skinner helped us see that. Now, as we look at one of those behaviors, we're looking to Liam Gallagher. Liam Gallagher was the lead singer of a band called Oasis. Oasis, I'm very sad, is not as big in Colombia as they should be. They're an amazing rock and roll band. They were what they were for a lot of people the last great hope of rock and roll. Many people call them the second coming of the Beatles, uh, and they were run. These two brothers fronted the band. One of them wrote all the songs, and then Liam would sing it. And they were notoriously always infighting. They would fight, 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 and those battles became quite public. They actually uh, reached ahead one summer. One of the biggest concerts they were doing, they were doing an MTV Unplugged show. And Liam said that he couldn't sing because he had laryngitis. That was the excuse he gave. And so the, the show was thought to be canceled. But Noel said, no way, man. I'm not letting you rain on my parade. And so he went out and played anyway and sang all the songs. At which point... Liam wasn't going to let anybody, you know, poo-poo on his parade. So he sat in the audience and heckled his brother the entire time. It was one of the most iconic concerts, not because of, of Noel's performance, but because of Liam's heckling. So if anyone knows a thing or two about anger, it's Liam. And their anger hasn't just healed with time. It's actually gotten worse with Twitter. They ve- you, if you just are bored one afternoon, just Google Liam Gallagher Twitter, and there's all kinds of insults. He's constantly hurling at his brother. He's a very angry person. So angry so that 25 years after the fact, when he's sitting down in front of a group of school children, the first question they think to ask him is, what are you doing about your anger management issues? See, I think that there's a reason that Jesus, one of the first issues he tackles in the Sermon on the Mount is anger. See, we're, we're in a new section in the Sermon on the Mount. Prior to this, it's just been good news. The announcement of the kingdom. The king has come. He's here to reclaim his creation. That's good news for us. He's here to bring blessing to God's broken world. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Again and again, he's here to win back creation. And now as he gets into helping us do heart work, the very first thing he talks about, the very first issue raised, is anger. Why? Certainly there's bigger things going on in the world than just whether or not I'm angry. Well, I think that Jesus, again, is not just trying to help us adjust our behavior. He's trying to get at the heart that's driving those behaviors. And nothing is a better barometer for your heart than anger. You can fake a lot, but when you get mad, people see your cards. They see what's really going on inside. And so the question then is now how, as Jesus' followers... Do we deal with our anger management issues? And Jesus gives really good news for angry people. The, the, the way that we deal with anger in the kingdom of God is actually we don't deal with anger. We don't just get hacks to not be angry. We don't just learn techniques to just stop being so mad. Jesus is saying this. He has an answer for anger. As followers of Jesus, we don't deal with anger. We face the idols that drive us to the anger. We deal with the heart behind the anger. Jesus is trying to lift up the hood and see what's going on. 
He's helping his followers deal with idols. And he's going to say this, anger, anger comes from this mindset, and it's called a scarcity mindset. We're going to talk about it. We're going to see how Jesus talks about how we don't think that God is good. We don't think there's a lot in the world. And that attitude is betrayed by our anger. And so, but now what? So we've exposed, we see, okay, I see anger here is about worship. I'm worshiping the wrong things. I have these idols. I don't believe truth about God. Now what do we do? What's the solution? Well, then Jesus moves us into this direction where he says this, that we can experience freedom from anger's power. The goal here is not to like say, okay, I'm going to go through my existence. I'm never going to be angry again. We can experience freedom from anger's power by abiding with Jesus. He totally flies in the face of this behavior modification. It's not just, hey, you thought murder was bad. Anger's even worse. I'm giving you even higher standard. Now live up to that. He's offering not just a, a legalistic system to help us deal with anger, but he's offering himself. See, anger management, dealing with your anger, is not about just a, a step to deal with anger. There are moments when you're going to have to do that. Anger management is about realigning our worship, redirecting our hearts. And what we see is the God who's inviting us to redirect our hearts is promising to be with us and abide with us. So let's first tackle that issue of idolatry. So as Jesus' followers, we don't deal with anger, we deal with the idols that drive our anger. Where do I get that? Well, when Jesus says, you've heard it said to those of old, but I say to you. He says that six times in the sermon. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Again and again. What he's doing is that's an almost exact quote of the prophet Isaiah. And what Jesus is really doing is he's tackling the issue that Isaiah began to deal with. In Isaiah 29, 13, here's what Isaiah says to Israel. He says this, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on mere human rules that they have been taught. And so now Jesus is saying, hey, your worship of Yahweh is based on mere human rules that you've been taught. Now he's confronting what they've been taught. You have heard it said. You have been taught. He's confronting the idols of the place they just came out of. So what he's saying to his followers is, look, you're vinyl in a CD world, okay? You have been made new, and you're living back in this old world. I don't look at you. Vinyl's cool again, okay? Don't, I, it's fine, all right? You, you've been made, you have been made new, and you're living in a place where you don't fit anymore. And he's pointing out the idols of the place they came out of. He's speaking to a specific context here. He's saying, Israel at this point had been worshiping gods other than Yahweh, That's how they ended up in exile. But in Isaiah, Israel's idolatry was starting to shift. It was starting to take a new face. So when we think of idolatry, we think of people burning incense to statues, people bowing down, people praying to other gods. That's certainly what that can be included in idolatry. And that was what was going on in the early part of the book of Isaiah. But as Israel started to get more and more warnings from the prophets, their idolatry shifted and they started worshiping and trusting in tradition. So when the the Bible talks about idolatry, it doesn't just talk about something that's out there. So like twice. So Paul says in Corinthians, hey, 
Be on guard for idols. And First John, his closing statement to his people, it says, hey, run from idolatry. Idolatry, according to the Bible, is anything that we look to and we're getting our sense of security from, we're getting our value from, we are trusting in that more than we trust God. And so Jesus here, as he is helping his followers navigate how to be new creation in a broken creation world, he's saying this, here's the idols, here's how you learned to navigate the world. You learn how to do this through these traditions. He's confronting the idols and what drives those idols. It was mere tradition. And look, I totally understand. I'm talking to a room full of 21st century evangelicals. Y'all have been trained well. You're like, I don't trust tradition. I know tradition can't do anything for me. In fact, I'm probably scared of tradition. I'm so anti-tradition, I have no traditions here. Like we know, like nobody in this room would probably openly say like, Yes, I trust because I go to church every week, I'm going to heaven. Like, we just know not to say that. If you've been around church for like more than three minutes, you just learn really fast. Like, okay, no one's saying that. I'm not going to say it. Don't say it. And if you say it, you're, you out yourself. So like, we have different idols than this generation had. But here's what the heart of what they were doing was. They were trusting the things around God and not God himself. That's what tradition was. The prophets were warning. They were saying, hey, because you're sinning, bad things are happening. Exile is coming. And so they're like, fine. They pick up the Torah and they're like, all right, what are some things we can do here? All right, we can, all right, we can obey, we can honor the Sabbath. We'll do that and we'll be fine. But what happened? What was, what was going on? It didn't deal with their hearts. Their hearts were still far from God. And we can think we're so much better than that. Like, we would never do that. We would never love the things of God more than God. God, let's just, let's just take this, family. Family's a wonderful thing. How do we know if we've made a wonderful thing of God an idol? Maybe anger might be a good litmus test to tell that. Politics, there's nothing wrong with politics. Politics are good, they're actually a little fun kind of fun, all right? Like, I know everyone's like nervous about 2020. It's kind of fun to watch. Politics are a good thing. But what happens? We move that to the center, and where do we see? Anger, name-calling, vitriol, all just kinds of rotten things. Relationships. Relationships are good things. What happens when we move those relationships to the center, though? When we say, hey, our partner, hey, like, you are my all, you're my security, you're my rock. What happens when they let us down? Anger. We may think we're so much better than these people, but we've just shifted idols. We haven't actually dealt with it. And Jesus says, the way I know that you haven't dealt with it is this anger. Anger is about worship. When our idols let us down, we get mad. And look, that makes sense. We live, we live in a place where it seems like, hey, this is a broken world. I, I need to work really hard. If I'm not, if I'm not working really hard, who's going to take care of me? That's not how Jesus viewed the world. That's called a scarcity mindset, and that's actually where idolatry comes from. It's saying like, hey, God says he's good, and that he'll provide for me, and he'll take care of me, but I need to work 70, 80 hours this week. Well, I just need a good reputation. I don't, I don't want people to think I'm lazy. So I'm going to work really hard. And see what happens? Status has become our, moved to the center. And what happens when our status gets threatened? 
anger. I think there's a reason that Jesus deals with this first. He's trying to bring our whole selves into following him. What makes us mad? How do we feel wronged? The fact that we're feeling wrong, the fact that we're experiencing this anger, and not all anger falls in this category. The Bible talks about there's good reasons to be mad. There's also confusing reasons to be mad. Has anybody in here ever just woken up and they were just in a foul mood? Like, that's not what the Bible's talking, that's not what Jesus is trying to confront here. He's trying to confront this idea of like, when we, when we feel that we're being threatened, when we're wrong, we lash out at other people. We belittle them. We say things like, raka, or we say things like, fool, right? We, we are belittling other people. Why? Because they stand in the way of what we need. That's what the idolatry is. And it's based in this idea that God is not generous, that he's not promised to provide for us. This is a harsh, harsh world. It's cold outside. I need to get mine. And when I don't, watch out. See, idols, they, they are idols because there's real threats. Israel was really going to go into exile, so that was scary. Like, there are really big implications in the political world. That can be scary. Like, marriage is a great thing. Kids are awesome. But when we move those things to the center, when we, as one pastor says, when we idolize, we demonize. And so we experience this anger because our worship is all out of whack. And look, I, I wish, it would be so awesome if like standing up here meant I have this all figured out and I don't have any problems. Like I wish it was like, hey, I used to struggle with anger. Oh, I just like, I just, you know, prayed a lot, read my Bible, boom, it's gone. And I'm up here as an expert trying to tell you as someone who's freed from anger, I don't deal with it anymore. And come on over, the water's great. But I am in this with you as well. When I was in seminary, Amy and I, we moved to Kentucky. And so I was in seminary and all of a sudden I got crazy sick. I had always been fit as a fiddle. I had been super healthy. I drank smoothies. I ate oatmeal. I rode my bike. I recycled. I was great. Then out of nowhere, I just get crazy sick. Lose a ton of weight. I'm in a ton of pain. Like it was awful. It just felt like there was like a brick in my stomach with nails. It was so painful. And it hurt. And I prayed all the time. God, heal me. Heal me. I know you can make me better. I'm not, I'm not asking for too much here. I just, could you heal me? Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait. I get it. I'll wait. I'll wait through this. I know how this works. I know it's not a yes all the time. Sometimes it's wait. I'll wait. And I wait. And I wait. And I wait. And then one day, it's early in the morning. I'm walking on the seminary campus, and I'll never forget this. I walk by this guy, and it's like 7 in the morning. And what is he eating? But like this greasy, I think it was like Pizza Hut. I have no idea where he got it. He's eating Pizza Hut. He's drinking a Pepsi. And he's fine. He's totally fine. He's healthy. He's eating like garbage. And I was eating healthy and I'm crazy sick. And what happened? Well, I responded super well and it was a worshipful moment. (laughs) I was angry. I was crazy angry. Like raka and fool, these things that Jesus talks about, those would have been nice thoughts I had about that guy. And look, like, I I wish I could say to you, like, hey, I understand 
why, you know, there's hurting and there's suffering in the world. I don't. Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out with you as well. And those are the moments when we're honest about what we want. Those are the moments when we're at a, that anger brings us to a fork in the road. Are we going to trust or are we going to head down the path of anger? And look, this is when I don't know what God is doing around the edges, look to the center. Look to the center. This is what's so amazing about what Jesus is saying as he confronts idols. He says this, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he is entering the story. As one pastor says, when you can't see God's hand, look for his heart. And here's the heart of this God. He entered this broken world and suffered along with us. You have not been abandoned. It may feel like you have been abandoned. And that's, what, that's why I think what Jesus, these words right here are so powerful. But I say to you, Feelings are fantastic, okay? I grew up Baptist. That sentence cost me a lot, okay? Baptists will tell you, like, feelings are bad. You don't need feelings. I don't know. They just were kind of an add-on in creation. Feelings are a gift from God. You have feelings for a reason. You've been wired the way you were for a reason. They're a fantastic gift. They're a terrible Uber driver, though. Get out of that car. Don't let feelings drive the car around. Feelings are great. They let you know what's going on, but they're a terrible guide. And so if we're just feeling our way through the world, it's going to feel like everything is set out against us. But how does Jesus confront that? Not by telling us to try harder. Not by saying like, oh, you thought murder was bad. Let me give you an even harder standard. Don't even be angry. He says this, I say to you. He confronts idolatry with his word, which is amazing. He's confronting idolatry, not just with words, empty words, but in the Bible, The word of God is God's actual presence. God is so intimately connected to his word. His word is an extension of who he is. And when Jesus says, you've heard it said, here's how you learn to follow me, but I myself say to you, that is an invitation to abide. We don't deal with anger by giving into it, by learning like anger management hacks, we deal with anger by learning to abide. We've, we can experience freedom from anger's power by abiding with Jesus. He's speaking. He says, I say to you. Jesus, in John's gospel, he identifies him as this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was was God. Jesus is so intimately connected to the word he identifies. He's saying, I am the Bible. Here's what's also amazing. Confusing, but I'm okay confusing you a little bit because it's awesome. Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is called into ministry, here's what happens. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Okay, so Jeremiah is this guy, he's just minding his own business, kind of going along, and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, you need to go be a missionary to Israel. And Jeremiah's like, no, I don't think I'd be very good at that. Like, I just don't feel like that's like, I took a strength finder's test, this doesn't line up with who I am. And he says this, uh, you know, I don't know how to speak, I'm too young. God says to him, he says, do not say I'm too young. 
you must go to everyone I send you and do what I command you. Then verse 9 says this, Then he reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Okay, the NIV, if you're reading that, will say, it says this, Then the Lord reached out. That is not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says this, Then he reached out his hand. And so if we're being like good grammar nerds, like, well, who's the he? What does that refer to? It refers to the word of the Lord. Here's just a crazy fact about words. They don't have hands. You are getting your money's worth today. Words don't have hands. Words don't have fingers. What is this word of the Lord? It's God himself. Look, I'm not up here just giving you Bible trivia. All right? If... If you come in here and you think like, okay, I didn't know much about the Bible and I left knowing more facts about the Bible, I have failed you if that's all that's taking place here. We're preaching the word not because it's cool, not because like, oh, it's what we should do, it's our tradition. We are preaching the word because this is an activity in abiding with God. The word is an extension of who God is. And when his word is preached, when we live in that word, we live with him. This morning, we are abiding with God as we explore his word. The God who speaks invites us to live and dwell with him. Look, and we are just like the Israelites. How many of you turn reading the Bible into just a thing to round out your checklist? Well, I, I got to read my Bible. It's what good Christians do. That's not why we read the Bible. We read the Bible to abide. This is an invitation to sit at Jesus' feet and be with him. And when we do that, that experience changes us. It transforms us. Don't believe me? Jesus says that himself. He says this in John's Gospel. If you abide with me, you will bear fruit. Christianity has never been about clean up your act. Christianity has been about abiding with the living God. That's what we're doing when we look to the Bible. And that is, so when we read what Jesus says here, it can sound like he's being more legalistic than the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were like, hey, don't kill anybody. But Jesus is like, hey, don't say this word, don't say that word, and then this word's really bad. And it's like, oh my goodness, like these people were hard, you're really hard. Well, so if you look at actually what Jesus is saying in this passage in verse 22, when he says that anyone who says raka will be answerable to the court. Last week I said to you, we have no idea what that means. Well, I did some digging. John Chrysanthem Never thought you'd hear him referenced in a church. He was a church historian who lived a long, long time ago. He lived around this, like, the time where people still spoke Aramaic, and he was a native Aramaic speaker. And here's what he says about Raqqa. It's kind of like a nice household put-down. So it's kind of like if you call your brother a dork. Like, oh, you're such a dork. You're such a Raqqa. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like this really light-hearted insult. It's not anything hard at all. It's something that was like kind of endearing. Okay, so that's one word. That's really confusing. So we can't be like funny with each other. Is Jesus, did Jesus have no sense of humor? What's going on here? Well, also, Jesus says, don't call anyone a fool. Anyone who calls someone a fool will be danger of the fire of hell. It's like, whoa, that sounds really serious. Well, wouldn't you know 
who just a few pages away from this, so, who calls someone a fool? Look with me at Matthew twenty three seventeen. Matthew twenty three seventeen. This is what Jesus says. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this: "You blind fools." What in the world is going on? Jesus said that the Pharisees were people who were like, hey, do as I say, not as I do. And is Jesus the same way? Is, is he playing like his Jesus card with us? Like, hey, I told you guys not to say this, but I, I got the Jesus card. I'm Jesus. I can say these things. Is that what's going on here? No. How do we know that? If you look at the next passage, the next, you've heard it said, but I say to you, it's about lust and adultery. And Jesus says, if you lust after someone, you need to gouge your eye out or you need to cut your hand off. And so, to quote uh, one sexual scholar, we've all had a broken relationship with sex. And so every single person in this room has lusted. Okay, like cats out of the bag. We've all done it. I look around the room, though. I see lots of two-handed people and people with two eyes. Okay? What's happening here? Jesus is cranking up the dial as he talks to get our attention. Here's what he's saying to his followers. These like really innocent, funny things you can do. Yeah, they're innocent and they're funny. But if you're using them, being driven and motivated by anger, that all of a sudden becomes really serious. Here's what he's saying. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about like what's driving your behavior. If your behavior is being driven by either righteous anger or just you're being funny, that's fine. But it's driven by anger. This is actually really destructive and really serious. He's trying to get at like all the way down. This is not about behavior modification. This has always been about the heart. And so how do we deal with that? Like what do we do? So we believe that, okay, this is about worship. I'm worshiping the wrong things. I have these wrong beliefs about God. And he's here to combat that with his presence. Well, how do I marry those two things together? These things don't seem to line up. And this is like part of the mystery of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus has already said to his people. Remember, you're vinyl living in a seedy world. Here's what he says. He says this when he shows up. Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay? And then just a few verses later, here's what he says. You are blessed. I wasn't very good at math, but I can follow simple equations back. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm blessed. I'm pure in heart. Whoa! Here's what Jesus is saying. We're not fighting to be freed from anger to earn anything from God. There's effort in here, but it's not an effort that earns. We are not fighting for salvation as we seek to be rescued from anger's power. We are fighting to experience and to live out what Jesus has already done in and through us. We're fighting to live out a reality that he has already made known to us. This is why your feelings are a terrible guide. Your feelings very rarely naturally line up with that truth. But here's the good news. He's promised to abide with us throughout that. And abiding, his presence changes us. Just like he touched Jeremiah's lips and it changed Jeremiah, now he's able to do this, he is abiding with you. And he has made the promise, I will not leave you even to the end of the age. See, we so often think that as we worship God, our worship statements have to end with a period. Like God is awesome, period. But worship can end with a question mark. Worship statements can end with a question mark. How long, O Lord? 
is repeated again and again in the Psalms. And that is worship. I wish I had all the answers to why do good things happen, why do bad things happen to good people? I wish I did, but I don't. But here's what I do know. As we abide with this Savior, as we get to know him and experience him, it changes our hearts. You may not get all the answers to all your questions now. In the first service, people were asking me, like, oh my gosh, like, are you still crazy sick? I was like, oh, no, I should, I'm better. I should tell people I got medicine and I'm fine. And, and then someone said, oh, yeah, see, God answered your prayer. I was like, oh, oh yeah, he did. It didn't look like what I thought it would, but he did. And like, that's hard. That's why the prophets say, the righteous shall live by faith. This act of abiding is an act of trust. And as we trust, that is an act of redirecting our worship. When you bring your questions to God and you wait, that is worship. Worship isn't all triumph. Sometimes worship is asking questions and waiting for an answer that you may not get. But this is again, when we can't see his hand, look for his heart. What do we know about this God? We know that our world is broken by sin. And we know that he entered that story and now abides with us. And as you take those heart steps, eventually, one day, You'll wake up and you won't be as angry. Anger starts to lose its power the more and more you abide. There is tremendous effort in this. I wish I could say it was easy. It's very difficult. When everything inside of you is saying God's not good. Scarcity mindset. Yeah, this is a hard, hard world. If you didn't have AC, you'd die in the summer. If you didn't have heat, you'd freeze in the winter. This is a terrible world. It's not how Jesus viewed the world. He saw a God who lovingly provided and cared. And Jesus entered the story and suffered and died for me. I'm, gonna, I'm going to say I don't feel that, but I'm going to follow. So where do we go from here? How do we, how do we deal with our idols? How do, we, how do we abide with Jesus? How do we trust his word? Well, I think step number one, there's going to be four steps. You've got to hold me to that. Someone even before this said to me, you sometimes say two steps and there's three or one. So I'm going to give you four, okay? Don't leave till you get four. First, we need, to be un- we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Part of what it means to be moved is that we were, we were feeling and heading one way, and now we are heading another way. The Bible, when Jesus enters the story, he is confronting idols. We have a death grip on what we want. Confronting that can be painful, There's a great story that C.S. Lewis talks about where there's a guy walking and he has this weird lizard on his uh, shoulder and the lizard is going to, it represents a sin in his life and it's going to kill him. He's like, I can't kill the lizard. I love the lizard. The lizard is life. If if I kill the lizard, I die. And there's this wrestle. Why? That's because what idols are. Idols promise us safety and security. When, When there's a call to, hey, like that safety and security will let you down. Trust this. That's hard. And we all, me included, we come into this room with our idols intact. 
Because we're vinyl living in a CD world, that's just how we learn to operate through the world. We learned to be angry. Anger was a tool. It was how I got what I wanted. People weren't taking care of me. I used anger to get by. It takes a long time to unroll that, uh, unlearn that. And it also takes time to have your heart redirected. So don't be surprised when you come to church and you get confronted with that. It's not always fun. That's what being moved means, though. Number two, don't give your feelings final authority. Jesus, by saying, I say to you, enters in and just draws a line in the sand with our feelings. Our feelings are important, but Jesus' word is more powerful and should have more authority. And look, none of us live like this thing is true all the time. Jesus later on in the Sermon on the Mount says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, like we're a very anxious group of people. Okay, it's a scary world out there. There's a lot, like people can totally ruin your lives like that. But Jesus is saying, hey, don't be anxious. How do we do that? My feelings are telling me this. Trust looks like saying, hey, my feelings are important. I'm not ignoring them. I'm not just putting them in a box and just like kind of Midwest style, just pretending they don't exist. I'm saying, hey, here are my feelings. But here's what your word says. Let's bring those together. Thirdly, don't ignore your feelings. When you're angry, or soon after you're done being angry, always ask why. Anger lets you know what you love. When you're angry, that's a great opportunity to get, go- to get insight of what's going on in your heart. This is training, remember? Jesus is not saying, hey, don't ever mess up. When we do mess up, let's learn from it. So this morning, I was riding my bike here, and our neighbor's dog, who I call Snowbomb, don't know its name, but it's a terrible threat to the neighborhood, chases me, right? And I thought I was going to get bit by a dog this morning, and I got really angry. And like, why? Well, because oh, man, if it bites me, it's going to rip my pants, I'm going to be bleeding, and I'm going to have to explain to people like why I look like a disheveled mess. Because even in those moments, like, I'm getting angry because, oh, like, there's something I want going on here. Doesn't mean you always get an insight into your heart every time, but you get little snippets at what's going on. I want people to respect me. What kind of person comes into church bleeding with it, you know? And lastly, we're going to quote some Calvin to you. Calvin in the Institutes, John Calvin, says that to know God is to know yourself. To know God is to know yourself. When we abide with this God, when we learn to live with him, we learn who we really are. Some of us err on the side of what I would call like morbid introspection. Like when it comes time to like know ourselves, like we know, we are navel-gazing extraordinaire. Like you leave the party, like, oh my gosh, I think I said this. Maybe they, maybe they interpret it like that. And maybe they say, oh my goodness, what? And you just, you totally always look inward. A lot of us though, don't really like to look inward. And you can tell that because if there's a lull, we grab our phones, we're just distracting ourselves. Part of what knowing God and understanding our idols and what's driving our behavior is an invitation to know yourself. And there's a balance here. To know God is to know ourselves. Doesn't mean we worship ourselves. Doesn't mean we spend our whole day just like totally inward focused but we're growing and we're learning and what drives us. And as we do that, we learn to respond better and lovingly to others. Oasis, ironically, one of their most 
popular hits was a song called Don't Look Back in Anger. And the story is still being written with those two. I kind of think that they're fighting as like a publicity stunt. It's like, who can be angry that long at another human being? But then again, anger really is quite powerful. But the answer that Jesus gives us is not, it's not a, a program. It's not a 12-step. It's a person. The invitation for angry people is to sit at Jesus' feet and experience the love and grace of a Savior who entered this broken world and speaks and abides with us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would see your kindness in pointing out how dangerous anger is. I pray that we as a people would not try to just deal with our anger, but we would look under the hood and see what it is that we love and be willing to sit at your feet and listen to your word. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.